everybody. It's good to be with you. I've always wanted to be up on stage while the band is still playing. I want to do what Greg does with his voice, but if I did that, I would take you out of the presence of God so fast. Um, be like, um, so it's good to be with you. It's, it's negative seven, and yet you guys are here. Uh, that is worth applauding. I, I can't help but wonder what it says about us as a, as a species that you can post about the weather on social media and somebody's ready to have a fight with you, right? I dare you today, go on Facebook right now if you want. I give you permission. Say, it's negative seven here in Fort Collins. I guarantee somebody from Minnesota is going to be like, negative seven? What's wrong with you? It's negative 35 here, right? Somebody's always ready to, uh, you know, outdo you, one-up you. You're like, is this a polar bear texting here? Are they a verified account? Um, It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are continuing our five-week series on purpose. Last week, we looked at the topic of identity because what we understand to be true is that we won't discover why we're here until we first discover who we are. And in the story of Moses last week, we understand that to get clear on our identity, to get clear on the answer to the question, who am I, we must first get clear on the reality of who he is and what he has said about us. That he has said this in Ephesians 2 verse 10, that we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us to do. And so this morning we move from the question around identity, who am I, into the question of story, where are you from? Now I like this question, I get asked this question all the time, right? Uh, My accent is not subtle. And what I found is that Americans love accents, but the only thing Americans love more than accents is guessing accents. It's like a pastime, there's baseball, and then guessing accents is like your thing. I've shared before, most people guess Australia because they have a story to share about Australia. And they, they've been praying for a moment where they'd hear an Australian accent and hear this guy comes along, it sounds vaguely familiar, and they asked me, I say, no, I'm from England, but they tell me the story anyway, which is great. I've, I've learned more about Australia living in, in America than all the years previously. But I don't know your friend Bob in Sydney. I don't know him, never met him, unlikely to meet him. But we're moving from the question, who am I, into who are you? And each of the sermons in this five-week series is, in a sense, guided by a question. I love the power of questions. We see it in the life of Jesus, right? How he used questions to get to motive and get to intent. And what I love is that the word question and the word quest have the same roots to them. The same, the fancy word is the same etymology, which is worth knowing it's 18 points in Scrabble. So that's the reason you would want to know etymology. It just means it has the same roots to it, right? And you're going to hit a double or a triple. It's going to be, I promise you, it's, remember that word. But the, the, the question that comes up this morning is where are you from? But this, this quest and this question, what is a quest? A quest is a search, a pursuit of purpose. It's the going after of something that has never been discovered before. And great questions then do the same thing. They search out inside of us. They search for truth. They search for meaning. They search for purpose. They search for something that has maybe never been discovered before. There's a certain nobility to a quest, right? Regular men like me, we go on trips, but knights, knights go on quests. And so we're going to sit this morning with a question that God asks that as we come into Genesis 16, we meet a woman called Hagar and we, meet, we, we come face to face with two questions that God asks that search out truth 
and search out purpose. In Genesis 16, if you have your Bibles, you can read along. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, But Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarai took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abraham so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children, Sarai said to Abraham. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham first arrived in the land of Canaan. So Abraham slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, it's all your fault. Now this servant of mine is pregnant and she despises me. Though I myself gave her the privilege of sleeping with you, the Lord will make you pay for doing this to me. Abraham replied, since she is your servant, you may deal with her as you see fit. So Sarai treated her harshly and Hagar ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, she replied. Then the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard about your misery. This son of yours will be a wild one, free and untamed as a wild donkey. He will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. Thereafter, Hagar referred to the Lord who had spoken to her as the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. Later, that well was named Bia Lahai Roy, and it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abraham a son, and Abraham named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old at that time. So when we step into story, we come face to face with these two questions that God asks Hagar when he says, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? We said last week that we, we can't answer the question, why am I here, until we first answer the question, who am I? And the invitation of scripture is rather than racing to the question, where am I going, that we would first sit with him and answer the question, where am I from? We don't know exactly what Hagar said in that moment of how she responded to that, but if we were to sit in her seat this morning or stand in her shoes this morning, we would have a story to tell about where we are from, a story of great brokenness and great pain. Maybe when you hear the question, where are you from, maybe you have a story of great brokenness and great pain. You see, when Hagar is asked that question, where are you from, her, her story could be about how she is collateral damage in a dysfunctional story of a controlling master in Sarai and a passive master in Abraham. She's a female Egyptian slave and she's given over to her master to bear his child and then the contempt and the destruction arises and then she's cast out with nowhere to go. And so she finds herself along the side of the road on the road to shore, likely headed for even greater destruction. 
For the only way she would likely be able to provide for herself and her unborn child would be through a life of prostitution. And so where are you from is not just this surface level question. It's a question that searches out to the very core of what Hagar has been experiencing in life. You see, 10 years earlier in this story, God speaks to Abraham and promises that Abraham will have his own son. And Abraham even challenges the details of that with God. He says, well, I don't have any child, so this must mean that you're talking about the children of one of my slaves. And God says, no, 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 you will have your own child, your own biological child. But the reality is in this moment is that 10 or so years have passed. And it is really hard for us at times to sit with patience and perseverance in the promises of God. And so Sarai hatches this plan and takes matters into her own hands. It says this in Galatians 4.23 of what happened. It says of Ishmael that he was born according in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. How much of your life and mine could this statement be written over? That something was literally or figuratively birthed within us that was our attempt to bring about the promises of God in our life. There's this reality when God meets Hagar on the, alongside the road to Shur that he says of Ishmael that your son will be a wild man. He will, there will be great conflict between him and others. There's a reality that if we as followers of Jesus cannot learn what it means to sit with patience and perseverance in the promises of God, we will birth something that will cause destruction and conflict for generations to come. And so this story, where are you from, is about this dear woman caught in the crosshairs of collateral damage. Caught in this reality between Sarah, who we understand, we empathize, is trying to get out of her pain. It is hard to sit with the promises of God for years and years and years, to sit in the emptiness of that, the brokenness of that, the shame of that. And yet for Abraham, how different would this story have been if he had been the man of integrity that God had called him to be? If he had said, no, we're not doing that, Sarai. We have received a promise and we are going to be patient and persevering, holding on to that promise. But instead they choose a different path and destruction ensues. Hagar gets placed in the middle of this carnage, this situation of great brokenness and darkness. There's this reality about Sarai's plan again, we can understand, we can understand that she's, she's trying to manufacture a way, it's this human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise in her life. And she presents her slave to her husband. This was something that was common in that time. But church, here's what I want you to hear, this reality. We are not called to follow what is common in our culture. We are called to follow what is commanded by our king. That is what we are called to. That the promises that he has laid out, our job as followers is to bring our heart and our talents to be in alignment with his purpose, that our lives would not be a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of his promise, but it would be a surrendered life in alignment with what he has promised and what he is doing. 
that we would be men and women who don't live according to what is common in our culture, but rather in alignment with what is commanded by our king. And God comes alongside this dear woman and says, Hagar, where are you from? See, she's on the run, right? She's been cast out. And we understand this question, where are you from? For so many of us, we, we feel this resistance to it. See, we want to answer the question, hey, where are you going? That has adventure to it. That has victory to it. See, where we're going, that can live in the imagination. But the invitation is to first sit with the question, where are you from? There's the therapist, Dan Allender, out in Seattle, who wrote a book called To Be Told, where he invites us to get into the details of our stories. Because what Dan writes about is that the temptation is so often to look at the brokenness and the pain of our past and simply make the decision that we are going to get over it. But the invitation of this question is to get into it, not over it. To engage the brokenness and the pain of our stories, both the bad things we've done and the bad things done to us. In the seminal book by Bessel van der Kolk, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And what he writes about in that book is that our bodies will remember what our minds are trying to forget. The reality is we try and forget our stories, but our stories don't forget us. And so we, we know this idea, right? We talk about people who are broken records, right? They just they keep repeating the same thing over and over again, and it gets kind of frustrating and annoying until you learn the mute button on social media. You're like, all right. I like that person again. But the reality is, is that we might not be broken records, but all of us have broken stories. And if we won't learn to sit with him, we will find ourselves repeating the same brokenness over and over and over again. And it's hard. It's hard to get into our stories. We get why we would run or run away from it, right? I, for my, the four or five years I worked with a therapist, I, I called it the holy crap journey. I, I told the last service, I actually called it something slightly different, but we're being recorded here. Uh, but, but why is it that? Why? Because there's all of that in it. Yeah, there's a lot of garbage and a lot of junk and a lot of pain. But when it's brought with him, there's a lot of holiness. You see, on that day, Hagar learns something about God that helps us navigate our life. She learned this, that God will show up in the mess, but he won't always fix the mess, at least not in the way we want him to at times. See, this, this book, this story, if the Bible was intended to be a propaganda book, it's, it's really badly written, right? Because we want it to be a Hallmark movie, Right? We want it to be that way, but that isn't, that isn't what the Bible is about. That isn't the story. See, if, if King David was in charge of editing this, he would have left out surely the part about Bathsheba where he slept with her and murdered her husband. If Moses was writing this book and editing it and, and in charge of the publication, he would have left out the part where he murdered the Egyptian, where he took things into his own hands, the human attempt, just like Galatians 4.23 and for you and I, so often we are trying to edit out our story instead of bringing it to the one who can hear us and see us like we've never been heard and never been seen before. You see, God doesn't fix the mess. 
but he listens to the brokenness and the pain of her story. And it allows her to say something that maybe had never been said before. It allows her to say, you are the God who sees me. See, as an Egyptian woman at this time in human history, she would have had about 2,000 gods. It's a lot of gods to keep track of, right? A lot of gods to have a quiet time with. I'm assuming there was a slightly different structure to spending time with all of those gods. But she had never met the true God until this day, or maybe not. But she meets the God who can hear her and see her in a way that she's never been heard and never been seen before. So there's this reality of this question, where are you from, that he is inviting us to sit with him. But then there's this part of the story that is challenging because he, he then sends her back. He says, I want you to return because so often we can spend our entire lives running from our stories that we never actually take the time to engage them. And she goes back and, she, and God says, I want you to go back and I want you to learn to submit. And it's hard, it's challenging to engage this. We, we just want him to, to rescue her out of this and, and fix everything. But the reality is, is that the choices that Abraham and Sarah had made had a ripple effect of consequences and brokenness that would go on for years to come. And maybe you find yourself in the midst of that ripple effect right now in your family where there's brokenness that you caused or someone caused years and years ago and you find yourself in the middle of that stream and you're desperately crying out for a different story but God is asking you to share with him the true story. What happened? Where are you from? That you would be able to say, you are the God who sees me like I've never been seen before. See, in the life of Hagar, this wasn't the last time she was rejected and kicked out. In fact, in five chapters later, Genesis 21, by this point, Abraham and Sarai have had their child, their own son. And there's more contention, more contempt. And so Hagar is kicked out again and sent on the run with her son Ishmael. And Abraham gives her some food, some water, but she soon runs out of that and finds herself in the wilderness. And she's run out of food, there's no water around, and so she takes Ishmael, her son, and hides him in the bushes because she doesn't want to watch him die. And we pick it up in Genesis 21. It says this in verse 17. It says, Then God heard the boy's cries, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from the sky, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries from the place where you laid him. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well. She immediately filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. See, when we think about stories of purpose, we, we always get drawn to those stories, right, of Moses. Or, or where he leads a people from slavery to freedom, or the story of David where he steps down into the valley of Elah and defeats Goliath. But sometimes the stories of purpose is about a woman struggling through the brokenness of life and yet doing it not alone, doing it with him. This story in Genesis 21 is so reminiscent of this moment in the New Testament thousands of years later when Jesus would come to get water at a well one day and a Samaritan woman comes and Jesus saw her and heard her 
like she'd never been seen before. That she would run and tell the whole town, he told me everything about myself. See, there's this invitation in the scriptures. This invitation in the relationship with God, not to show up with him when everything is right and clean and perfect, but to show up with him even in the most broken, dark, painful moments of our lives. There's a, there's a difference between stepping into trouble alone and stepping into trouble with him. And his invitation in this story, in the story of Hagar, is to say, God is not editing your story out of the big story. He's not saying, Hagar doesn't quite fit the narrative I'm going for, folks. Let's cut these frames out of the movie. He's saying to every one of us in this room, your story matters. The brokenness that you've experienced, the pain that you've experienced, it really matters. And it's possible that when you come to him and allow him to just ask you the question, where are you from? And as you tell him your story, that you will not only find him in your story, but you will find yourself in his bigger story. That this matters. The brokenness and the pain that I've experienced, it matters. And that she was able to learn something fresh and new about God, that he hears me and he sees me. And that was her journey. And so this week, as we, as we navigate through, I want to encourage you to do a few things. One, I want to encourage you to sit with him and have him simply ask you the question, where are you from? What is your story? What are the parts of your life that you've been trying to edit out instead of bringing into the light for him to empathize with, for him to cry with you with, for him to talk to you about? And another invitation of this story is that we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, that you might have loved ones or family members or friends or colleagues in your life who have stories of great brokenness. And God doesn't show up in Hagar's life as she sits on the road to Shur. He doesn't show up and tell her what to do right away. He simply sits and listens to her story. And it it is in the listening and the seeing that she meets God. Let's stand together. And we'll pray. Father, we thank you that the scriptures are filled with stories that are true, stories of brokenness, stories of pain, because we find ourselves in those stories. And this morning, God, we just thank you that you are not a God who erases our stories or edits our stories. You are a God who redeems our stories. You listen to our stories. You see us in our stories. And this morning, we just, we just stand in awe before you with gratitude that you hear us and you see us. We love you, Father, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.